Jesus needs to fill our horizons. Jesus needs to be the one who leads our life, not just fit into our plans. There was a period of time where knights used to be baptized, and when they were baptized, they used to hold their swords above the water. And when they came up, they would come out and they say, I follow God with everything in my life except the sword. Now I wonder about this in our lives. Is there something we're holding above the water? Is there something that you say, we're saying, God, I surrender all these other parts of my life, but you can't have this. What is it that we're holding above the water? Hi, and welcome to Center Church. My name is Josh. I'm the lead pastor here. And again, I just want to welcome you and thank you for being with us this morning. We hope that as you experience church today, that you are encouraged, you're inspired, and you walk away full of faith and walk away knowing who Jesus is and that you walk away with the hope and the peace that Jesus offers us. <clears throat> For those of you that don't know, we are in week three of our series, Fill My Horizons. I don't know how this happens every time, but once we get one, two, and definitely three weeks into a series, I'm like, where does the time seem to go? And so we're in the middle of a series on the book of Colossians written by a man named Paul. And so if you're here for the first time, welcome. And we're diving into the text and you can pull out your Bible and follow along with us or download the YouVersion Bible app. And for those of you that are here for week three, I pray that it continues to be an encouragement to you and that God continues to strengthen your faith during this time. Well, as I was preparing today, I was thinking about growth mindset. And I was looking at some research, and about 400 years ago, in Western Europe, 15% of the population was literate. No jokes. 15% of the population. And when, uh, when you, if you were to ask people at that time, uh, what would be a, a good goal for Western Europe to achieve in terms of literacy? Those who were educated, those who could read and write, would have said, well, between 20 and 30% would be a good goal for us to achieve in terms of literacy. Now, if you think about that, and you, you kind of fast forward now to 400 years in the future, today in Canada, and if Justin Trudeau was to come up and say, our goal for the next year is that 20 to 30% of you would become literate, you would laugh because we've advanced as a culture. What was once unheard of has now become expected because we've grown as a civilization in the Western world, our cultures and our countries have advanced, and we almost expect a 100% literacy level in our countries. This is expected. Now, when we jump into the text today, so too, Paul is wanting Christians to grow and to mature and be full of faith. And he's writing in this book of Colossians to not a church in peril, but a church that has found Jesus, is growing, is doing quite well, and he wants to continually keep encouraging them. Now, if you're new to the Bible, the Bible's broken down into books, chapters, and verses, and we're gonna be jumping into the New Testament. Now, there's two Testaments, the Old Testament, which is pre-Jesus' life on the earth, and then 
post Jesus's life on earth is the New Testament. Now, one of the books, Colossians, is a New Testament book written by a man named Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit. But he writes this book to a church that's about 100 miles away from Ephesus, from where Paul did a lot of his ministry, but 100 miles away, and he's writing to them to encourage them and to encourage them to keep walking out in their faith. But he also, there's some challenges that arise in the church. There's some new new teachers that come up. There's some people with new ideas that are challenging the idea of Jesus. And so Paul in today's text is going to talk about those things. He's going to thank, first of all, he's going to thank this church for their faith. And then he's going through that process to instruct them on how they can continually grow in their relationship with Jesus and also be able to decipher what's true from what's not. So if you have a Bible, you can open it up. I have my physical Bible. Yes, I got ink and pages in front of me today. I encourage you every week to have it. But why don't you pull open your physical Bible and turn to the book of Colossians chapter 1. And we're going to start in verse 9. And this is what it reads. This is how it reads. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God what to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the spirit gives. There's a lot there, but let's start with the very beginning of verse nine. So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you is what Paul writes. What Paul does is he lives what he preaches. Paul doesn't just say, it's good to pray. He says, no, I've been praying for you. You know, it's it's one thing to say, you know what, I'm thinking about you. It's another thing to say, I'm going to pray about you. It's a whole other thing to say, I have been praying for you. And here he says, since the very beginning, since the very beginning that I heard about what God was doing in the church of Colossae, I have been praying for you. I want to encourage you, church, to not just be a church that says we'll pray, but to to pray and to continually keep praying. And what Paul does here, and I find this really interesting, is that Paul isn't praying for the church during just crisis situations or hard times. You know, that kind of our knee-jerk reaction right in the church is when something bad's going on, what do we do? We're like, oh, we should pray about it, right? But what about the times where we feel like we have momentum in our life? What about when things are strong? What about when God is doing incredible things? We should be praying then too. And Paul prays even more intensely during those times. Let us church be a church marked by prayer. Whether it's going incredibly well, or whether it's a challenging and a difficult time. Let's be marked by prayer. This is what marked Paul's ministry. What did he say? I have not stopped praying for you. Imagine that. Not stop praying for you. What are you facing today? That we would not stop praying for one another. Be continually in prayer. Bringing before God the needs uh, that we have in our life, but also praying for fellow Christians to be like, man, that guy seems fired up. God, continue to grow the passion for Jesus in our church. Imagine those kind of prayers. Not just, the small, not just small ones, or not just prayers for needs, 
but big, bold prayers that God would continue to grow the faith in our church. And this is what Paul, Paul is doing. He's like, I'm praying for you, continue. And I haven't stopped. Let us be a church that continues to pray. And then it continues. We ask God to give you the complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, when we read that verse, when we read verse, the, the second half of verse 9 there, we go to kind of this mystic category, or it's easy to say, oh, it sounds like there's some sort of secret or hidden mysteries about God that we don't know. And it's the way that it comes across through the translation. The Bible wasn't originally written in English it was or Latin that it was kept in for a long time. It was written in Greek. And so we translate it back. And Paul's intent here is he's to, he's to say, um, all this that, that we find, the knowledge of God's will, the, the giving of spiritual wisdom and of understanding is all embodied in Jesus. For Paul, this knowledge, this wisdom and understanding isn't found in Christ alone. Full knowledge comes through the Spirit and our commitment to Jesus. Paul knew that if this Colossian church understood that, they would, that all they needed was to grow in their knowledge of Jesus for salvation, that if they wanted direction for their life, like many of you are looking for direction right now, that if you found more knowledge of Jesus in your life and you found more of Jesus, that you'd have that direction. Or if you're looking for more of a connection from God, Paul knows that this is found in the person of Jesus alone. And he says, if you fill your horizons with Jesus, you'll get direction. If you fill your horizons with Jesus, you will have salvation. If you, if you fill your horizon with Jesus, there will be connection with God. Because the will of God is revealed in Jesus. The, the direction of our life is revealed in Jesus. And we find it as we grow in our knowledge of who He is. So when we hear this, we ask God to give you complete knowledge of His will. Spiritualism and understanding. We're like, spiritualism and understanding seems like something I can't... No, it's found and embodied in the person of Jesus. And what Paul knows about this early church is it's so easy to get distracted by new philosophies or new ideas. In particular, there was people in the church that were teaching new ideas and trying to distract this, these Christians of Colossae, trying to distract them away from the original message of Jesus. It was like a Jesus plus our insider knowledge equals a better life. And the truth of the matter is this, is that it's in the person of Jesus alone that we find truth. It's in the person of Jesus alone that we find connection to God. It's in Jesus alone that we find the knowledge and the will of God. For Paul, the knowledge of God always, though, has ethical implications. And so the reason he's saying that we need to know God's will, the reason that we need to have an understanding of who God is, the reason that we need to know Jesus more is because it has implications for our life. It requires us to bring those things into our daily context, context and to change the way we think about our lives. The reality may explain why so many people 
want to add to Jesus or find it difficult to just accept Jesus' teaching. They want something more agreeable to their life. They want something more sophisticated and deep. And yet, in the person of Jesus, the, the well is deep and there is much to learn and much to grow in. Maybe some say, well, I don't really like it. And you know what? It's not what I would do. That's what some people say. This isn't what I would do. And that's the point. The point is that Jesus is coming to establish a new way of life. Not just, a, not just an add-on, not just a little bit of change here and there, but to totally turn the whole thing on its head. The Gospel of Matthew is actually deemed the upside-down kingdom. In other words, Jesus, Jesus takes our lives and he wants to turn them upside down, not for, our, not for anything bad, but for our good. And so as we learn about Jesus, as we gain knowledge about his will, as we gain knowledge about God's will, as we gain knowledge about God and who he is, which is embodied in Jesus, as we grow, as we grow, what happens is that it has implications in our life. It causes us to change. And so wisdom that excludes Jesus or makes him subordinate is a counterfeit. In other words, when we have all these catchphrases, but Jesus isn't in the, the center of these things, of what faith might be, or we, we, have, we have things in our life that we don't want to make subordinate to Jesus. In other words, we, we actually don't want Jesus to be first in our life. He falls way down the priority list, and we're told that this is a good thing. These are counterfeits. Jesus needs to fill our horizons. Jesus needs to be the one who leads our life, not just fit into our plans. There was a period of time in history where knights used to be baptized. And when they were baptized, they used to hold their swords above the water. And so they would go into the water, they would hold the swords, and when they came up, they would come out and they say, I follow God with everything in my life except the sword. You can't have that God. Now, I wonder about this in our lives. As Jesus, we're talking about filling our horizons. As we're talking about finding, uh, or finding Jesus as the, the, the one who's supreme first in our life, who's the one who's sufficient enough for us, is there something we're holding above the water? Is there something that you say, we're saying, God, I surrender all these other parts of my life, but you can't have this. What is it? that we're holding above the water. People asked me around the office recently, uh, they, they, I guess they've gone online. YouTube is a, has a plethora of different things on it. And one of the things is it has history, right? And uh, I used to be a singer and a songwriter. And so somebody in the office was like, so I see that you're a songwriter. I'm like, what? And they're like, yeah, we are watching some YouTube videos. And I'm like, oh, YouTube, <laughs> you know, they're watching some YouTube videos about, um, you know, I used to lead worship and write some songs and things like that. And they like, oh yeah, I read it. I read it online. And, and they started talking about it. And then they started having, I've had to have a few number of these conversations recently where they're like, well, why did you stop? Why did you stop doing this? And I want to tell you why is I probably wouldn't be a lead pastor if it wasn't for me surrendering something that I was holding above the water. A lot of my identity was wrapped up in my music. 
A lot of my identity was wrapped up in those things, and God was calling me to new spaces. Now, was songwriting bad? No. Was songwriting good? Yes. Did it bless the church? Absolutely. But God was asking me to surrender even something that was really good for something better. And so I had to allow that to also, if we use the analogy of going under the water, to allow that to go under the water and fully surrender myself to his calling. Now, today I pastor and lead our church. Uh, I lead Center Church. And that came from a position of just surrendering to the things of God. To saying, you know what, God, there's a lot of things that I want. There's a lot of things that I desire for my life. But I just surrender to your ways. And as I grow closer to Jesus, and as I spend more time with God, what I notice is that I discover his will for my life. The things he's asking me to surrender. He starts to fill my horizon. He helps me to be a more patient person, a more loving person. And this all stems from my view of Jesus. As I see him more clearly, I become more like him. And the goal here is to be filled with the knowledge of God, not just for knowledge sake, but for committed service. Knowledge itself doesn't save us. That's what faith is. Faith saves us. But knowledge grows us. Just because And maybe you're on the other side of this camera and you've been a Christian for 30 years. It doesn't mean that you're more knowledgeable than somebody who's been a Christian for two. You might have more experience, but you might not have more knowledge about God. You see, it's in the knowledge of God that we grow and we mature in our faith. And the more that we see of God, the more that Jesus fills our horizons, like we read about in the book of Colossians. The more that we know about him, the more direction we have, the more peace we have, the more joy we have, the more that we understand the will of God, it changes our life. And if that's what Paul says here in verse 10. So in verse 9, he says, understand the will of God. Understand, um, understand, have understanding of the knowledge of God. And then in verse 10, it uses this word, then. Then in understanding that knowledge, this is what Uh, Paul writes, the way you live will always honor and please the Lord. God, what do you have for my life? Fill your horizons with Jesus. Learn about God. Dive into the things of God. Discover who he is and he will illuminate the path that you need to walk. And the way you live will honor and please God out of the knowledge of God. Faith saves us, but knowledge grows and matures us. And too often, the thing that people uh, use as an indictment against the church is the fact that Christians don't reason and think and learn enough. And I I don't want to say that that's the indictment against Center Church. I want to say this, that if you want to grow in the things of God, if you want to live a godly life, if you want to continue to, to, to use your life to, to, to benefit the world around you and live out God's purpose for you, then rather than spending all your mental energy on, God, what's my purpose? God, what's my purpose? God, what's my purpose? Fill your horizons with Jesus and he will illuminate your path. Get back to knowing who God is, seeking who God is, allowing God to fill you. And as he does that, as you allow him to to fill up 
those spaces in your life that he will direct you. And this is what Paul says, that your life then will honor and please God. And your lives will produce what? Every kind of good fruit. Now, for those of you that are new to church, you're like, good fruit. Do I want to, good fruit is producing good things in your life. Healthier marriages, being a more um, caring or compassionate person, being able to have time to listen and not always just have to speak, slower to anger, having more patience, being more loving, having more joy. Every good thing flows from Jesus filling our horizons. All the while, Paul continues, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. Faith saves us, but knowledge grows us. Do you know God? Do you spend time in his word? Do you spend time reading commentaries or spend time reading devotionals? Do you spend time reading books about him? I know that there's been some formative books in my life from various authors that were just at the right time, that showed me just a little bit more or maybe a lot more of who God was and drastically changed the trajectory of my life. Unfortunately, we, too many people, and I, I don't like saying this, but too many people think of the gospel or think of the Christian faith as all I, as all I like the book title, all I needed to know I learned in kindergarten. In other words, I just need to know that God loves me and I'm forgiven and I'm good. And yeah, faith might save you. But what about growing up? What about using times like this, especially challenging times or times where the whole world seems to be forced to slow down? Times like this to grow in our relationship or our knowledge of God. Because knowledge is the thing that grows us. And if we live in kindergarten too long, a circumstance will come and we'll be challenged and it will be too big for what little faith we have in God and it will wash away. But Paul knows that the Colossian church, if they get this view, a big view of Jesus and they understand who he is, they understand God's will, they understand his purposes. If they get a view of that, you know what's going to happen? Is they're going to be able, whatever circumstance comes, they'll be able to walk through in faith. As Calvin wrote, faith rests not on ignorance, but on knowledge. And this is indeed knowledge, not only of God, but of the divine will. What does God want me to do with my life is found in the knowledge of God who is embodied in the person of Jesus. Without proper knowledge of God, one, we don't live properly. We make up our own rules, our own moral code, and then God kind of becomes subordinate to us. If we don't like something, whatever, we'll just change it because why? I have control. And so we relinquish control to God as we surrender to him. And when we grow in our knowledge of God, the second thing is it shields us from improper teaching. And too often we can get swayed by the newest wave of, idea, of thinking. And to think that, oh, this is just so new and so new. The church has always had ideas and philosophies and different theology challenging it. Challenging the core belief of Jesus. And so we need to continually come back to the knowledge of who God has come back to the Bible 
Come back to who he is and say, God, reveal yourself to me. I know there's all these voices, but God, I come before you. I come before you, Jesus. Show yourself to me. Because rooting ourselves in the person of Jesus, this alone produces good in our life. And this is also a protection about other ideas that might sound good, but aren't necessarily for our good. Now, when you understand, you get a clearer picture of Jesus, there's a few things that happen. When you are forgiven in Christ, because Jesus completely forgives your past, your present, and your future. How good is that? That is really good news. That regardless of what you do, your past, your present, and your future, they're forgiven. But why does Jesus reveal that to us? One, for our own benefit, that we can come before God, but two, because it needs to bleed into our life so that we can forgive other people. A knowledge of Jesus' forgiveness helps us forgive other people. A knowledge, right, that you are a sinner in need of grace. What does that do? As we realize how much grace that we have needed from God, we look at the people around us and we extend it to them as well. You are loved unconditionally by Jesus. Regardless of what you did, regardless of how today goes before the service or how after the service goes or what's going to happen in the next week or coming month, God loves you unconditionally. And as we learn that knowledge, what do we do? We share that unconditional love with other people. You see, you learn when you understand who Jesus is, you understand that you're valued by Jesus. And what in turn do you do? You value other people. And then what? You understand what? When you understand the cost and the gift of salvation, how do you respond? You respond generously. God, here's my life. I give you my all in response to the gift that you've given me. And lastly, when you understand that he gave his life for you, when you understand that it wasn't no small price to pay, when you understand how much he gave, you give your life back to him in return. It's in our knowledge of God that we grow in our faith. It's in our knowledge of God that we grow into mature and become mature like Jesus wants us to be. And you need to work out your faith. This week I was teaching my kids at home. And for all you parents that right now, you might be working part-time jobs, you might be single parents and you're going home and you're making it happen, I just applaud you. Uh, for those of you that are, there's dual parents in the house, right? And both parents and one of you is going to work and one of you is staying home and teaching all day, I applaud you. For anyone at home and just making it happen with our kids, man, just incredible. Keep going. Keep going. And I understand this week I was at home with my children. And as I'm teaching my, my kids at home, throughout the day I was growing a little bit more and more frustrated. Uh, I didn't do so well, especially in the early evening when the work still continued because we couldn't quite get a few assignments done. And at the end of the day, I felt like I had failed on many levels, my children. Uh -huh. There's times that I was quick to anger. There was times that I didn't listen. 
I remember one of my kids, no jokes, got run over by a bike and I could barely console him. And I remember I went, I went to just that night, I was just before I was falling asleep, I just said, God, I didn't quite measure up today. But I'm reminded that your mercies are new every day. I'm reminded that the grace that you have given to me, that God, I need to give to others, would you help me give grace to my children? And it was an opportunity. I, I think that parenting is, and for those of you that aren't parents, um, just a little insight, parenting reveals a lot about who you are. And it's a, it's a way of refining our faith. And I just noticed this week that I needed the grace of Jesus as much as my kids need the grace of Jesus, as much as you need the grace of Jesus. We all need the grace of Jesus. But do you see Jesus for who he truly is? Does Jesus fill your horizons? Does he feel even a small portion of it? Allow Jesus to capture your imagination. Allow God to fill your horizons. Now we'll continue in verse 11. It says, we also pray, Paul continues, we also pray that you'd be strength with his glorious power so that you have all endurance and patience you need. Who needs patience and endurance? <laughs> yeah. May you be filled with what? Joy. Always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. C.S. Lewis in his Narnia series talks about Narnia at one point. And these kids go through a wardrobe and they enter into Narnia. And Narnia is in winter constantly. And there's no Christmas. And what C.S. Lewis is trying to say here is he's saying, the world controlled by sin is in winter all the time. There's no spring. There's no life. There's no beauty. It's just this enslavement to winter. It's constantly cold. It's dark. And it's ruled by somebody that doesn't give a rip about you. Furthermore, there's no Christmas. Like There's nothing good even to look forward to. Because even when we think we find good, that somehow it's turned against us. Now, Aslan is the lion in the series who represents Jesus. And when he comes, he brings spring again in summer. And what C.S. Lewis is trying to say here is he's saying, the world without Jesus is quite dark. It's quite bleak. But Jesus has taken you out and he has brought you into a new life that is bright and full of hope. That he's taken you out of this what kingdom of darkness and he's transferred you into a kingdom. And look at these words of his dear son. I love the affection in those words, my dear son. The, out of a kingdom of, of no love and of darkness and a kingdom of love and community, my dear son. In Christ, God tears away tears us from the power of darkness and moves us into light. Jesus forgives sins, not just to be made clean. You need to hear this. He doesn't do it just to make us clean or just to say your forgiveness. He does it also. The reason he does this is to pull us free from the power of sin, destruction, and darkness. It's an exchange of kingdoms. It's an exchange of lords. 
The phrase astounds me, transferred into the kingdom of his dear son in exchange of kingdoms, in exchange of priorities, an upside down kingdom to the way that we know it. I have to earn my love. I have to earn my acceptance. I have to earn my forgiveness. I have to earn my joy. I have to earn my happiness to the upside down kingdom. When Jesus is saying, all who come to me, all who come to me will, if you're weary, I will give you rest. All who come to me will find forgiveness. All who come to me will find grace. Why? Because this is a new kingdom. It's not a knockoff. It's not just an adaption. It's something totally brand new. We are transferred into the kingdom of light. This is the imagery of liberation. Another imagery, just as we end today, that hits me. And as I was reading, one of the scholars that I was reading was writing about this. And he was just saying, it's almost like these World War II concentration camps. He says, too often we pretty up sin. Too often we say, oh, it's not that big of a deal. And then we say, we don't need that big of a savior. But the truth is that we were all enslaved to something. We couldn't get out of our habits. We couldn't get out of our sin. We were stuck. In World War II, when people were brought out of concentration camps, it's a bit sad to say it. But a lot of them suffered long humiliation after they left the camps. They never reintegrated into society. Something in the camp had changed them, both internally and how people externally viewed them. And so too, Jesus brings us and frees us from that kingdom of darkness and he brings us into a kingdom of light. But we're going to be different. There's something about our life. There's something about this experience that changes us. As I think about this, somebody asked me the question, why is the cross so gross? And why is it so ugly? I said this because the reality is that sin is too. It's not pretty. It destroys lives. Prefers one over the other. It rebels against God. It causes destruction. Sin is not good, and the kingdom of darkness is not good. It brings about death, but Jesus brings us into the kingdom of light. He provides us forgiveness. He pulls us out of what we were enslaved to, and the cross is a sign of our freedom. We were bought at a price the price of Jesus. And it wasn't just forgiveness to make us clean. That's one part. He brought us out of the kingdom of darkness to a kingdom of light. And as we discover that knowledge, as we discover how much we're forgiven, we forgive others. As we understand how much God's grace is towards us, we extend that to ourselves and to others around us. As we understand how much of a gift we've been given and the generous gift of Jesus, we give our lives away generously. And when we understand that Jesus paid it all for us, we give our lives in turn to others. This all rises and falls on our view of Jesus. May he fill our horizons today. May you be filled with the hope and the grace of Jesus. And if you haven't chosen to follow him yet, you can pray this prayer with me right now. God hears you. 
God sees you across from this screen. And if you're ready to take that step, you can pray this prayer with me today. God, I thank you that you love me. And I ask for forgiveness. I ask that God, uh, I ask for your forgiveness that you would take me out of the kingdom of darkness and bring me to the kingdom of light. That you would help me uh, live the way that you've called me to live. Show me who you are. Fill me with your knowledge, with your wisdom, with your power. Help me to live the life that you have called me to live. From this point on, I turn away from my old life and I turn to you. Thank you that you have made all things brand new. Amen.